Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless your name. Again, we thank you for your kind. We thank you for your gospel and causing us to see it and to love it. And we just pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us in the truth of Christ. For prone to wonder, Lord, as we sang, we feel it and we see the wandering that becomes of sinners when they don't keep looking at Christ. Just as Peter uh, was walking on the water for a minute, but as soon as he paid attention to what was around him, he started sinking. And Lord, we pray that you continue to draw us to yourself, that we may never lose sight of you and we keep looking to you. And Lord, may you continue to use us in ways that you have appointed for us uh, and just blessing the work as you have determined for us, even in the foolishness of the cross and the foolishness of our numbers. Lord, we know that uh, the power is not in the instruments, but in the name of the Lord. We pray now for your blessing upon your teaching. May you give us understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel 21. First Samuel 21, verses 1 to 10. <laughs> You would have thought that I would not be going back to that. You first summer, right? Yeah. 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 It's it's coming okay. <laughs> some other time. There are just some very glorious things from this chapter that I thought would come back to, and we have come back again to do the remainder of the verses. First summer and second summer are such wonderful books. When you have David, you can find a lot of useful gospel nuggets. So we want to see what the Lord will give us in terms of the gospel. So First Samuel 21, 1 to 10 says, Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young man to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is only holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the shore bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the headsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped 
in a cloth behind the effort. If you take that, take it, for there's no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it, give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. Our title is going to be Eating Holy Bread and Change of the Law, Part 2. Eating Holy Bread and and a Change of the Law, Part 2, or the End of the Law, or the End of the Law. The Gospel was taught in the Old Testament in types and shadows, but we have to use the New Testament understanding to get proper understanding of what is being said in all these stories. These stories, as I am fond of saying, are not just stories. Otherwise, God would not have recorded them for us. Jesus said they testified of him, and that means they testified of the gospel. So we have to seek understanding to find what the Holy Spirit may be signifying to us by these stories. If we have to understand and truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what God says is the relationship between you and the law of God. Because a gospel that fails to answer that question and fails to understand that relationship cannot be a gospel. Because the question of the gospel is a legal one. We sinned and therefore we are guilty. So if we are believing the true gospel, that gospel has to answer what relationship you have with the law. We have to hear though what God says about the matter, how he has settled the question. We ourselves, because we are sinners, have no ability to satisfy the demands of the law. The law demands righteousness from us. It demands holiness. But because of sin, we are not able to give the law what it demands. Even on our best day ever, as you have just experienced, (laughs) you are not able to be righteous. So the question that we have to ask and answer from the scriptures is, did Christ satisfy the law completely in himself? And if he did, does God still require us to be answerable to that law? Does the law still have some claims on our souls? Or did Christ satisfy some of the law, part of the law, but we still have some aspect of salvation that requires us to perform the law. But for us to understand that, we need to hear what the New Testament revelation says on the function of the law and not just the opinions of man and the traditions of man. And when we are talking about the law, we are talking about the old covenant, the law of Moses. Many people try to do gymnastics with the law and so they continue to want to marry believers to a covenant that they died to. They are taking a believer 
and wedding them, buying them a nice ring and wedding them to a covenant that is already in the casket. And saying, will you take this dead covenant, this Moses who is dead, as your lawfully wedded husband? That's what they're saying. And the scriptures say no, and we say no, not on our authority, but on the authority of the scriptures. We say no to such vows, no to such weddings, no, no matter how beautiful the wedding ring or the ceremony is, we say no to that. There's no hope in getting married to a dead husband because he's dead. <laughs> we died to Moses that we may be married to another, the one who lives, Jesus Christ. And when I listen to the teaching from different people of different persuasions, I hear that they are not following God's arguments and revelation of the matter. And we can't base eternity on opinions of even myself or the opinions of other men. We have to hear what God actually says about it. And God has clearly taught on what the law was given to do. In Romans 5.20, Apostle Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So the law was given to increase the transgression, to multiply the offense, not to decrease the offense. And it would be amazing if you are on the German autobahn, they don't have speed limits. So they don't give speeding tickets for speeding. But as soon as they post a speed limit of 70 miles per hour, guess what? The cops are writing tickets and making so much money for the government. Why? Because that law has been put to increase the transgression. People were already going fast, but there was no law against it. So the law was given to increase transgressions, but not only that, in Romans 3.20, Apostle Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law, the speed limit has been posted to give you knowledge that every time you go past that street, At 70 and the speed limit is 55, guess what? You're a transgressor. (laughs) So if by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified, what do we need the law for? It certainly can't be for justification and it is not for sanctification because if sanctification requires the law, then it too will fall under the deeds of the law. The law is a dead husband and it can't wash you because sanctification is washing, is making clean. A dead husband can't put you in the tub to wash you. He can't move his hands. <laughs> so Paul denies that. Galatians 3, he denies that. He says, well, are you now seeking to be perfected by the flesh when you had begun in the spirit? So if salvation is by grace alone, it means that all the benefits that are required for salvation, whatever conditions, whatever is required of you to be holy and blameless before God is given to you freely. 
it has to be given to you freely because if there's some 1%, 2% that you have to contribute, then something happens to you and you don't finish this sermon, <laughs> you are in trouble. You are missing a very critical component of your salvation. So God has to give everything that is required for your salvation. And all the benefits of salvation are communicated and are made effectual to the believer by grace alone, through faith alone, and not through the use of the law. This is what Romans 7, verse 7 to 12 says. Because every time when we talk about that relationship that the believer has with the law, people always want to object to say, well, if what you're saying is correct, then you are saying we are to do whatever we want. But that's not the understanding. When someone thinks like that, they are not thinking spiritually. They are thinking fleshly. And some will say, as they were saying to Apostle Paul, what shall we say then is the lost sin? There were people who were actually saying to Paul, if what you're saying is true, that the law increases transgressions, then the law is sin. And Apostle Paul says, no, the law cannot be sin. God forbid, may it never be. Certainly not. On the contrary, he now says what the law was given to do. I would not have known sin except through the law. So it is only through the law, the teaching of the law, that one knows that they are a sinner. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Before the speed limit was put, I thought I was just a good person. But suddenly I realized, even in the school zone, it's 20 miles per hour, and James is going 35 miles per hour and hoping that there's no cop in sight. <laughs> so when the commandment came to post the speed at 20 miles per hour, I realized that I was a transgressor. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. The commandment that was given to make sure that I would drive safely, I realized it gave me points on my driving record. It gave me tickets and I had to pay. It even brought me, depending, even to court. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Sin took advantage of the commandment. How? It deceived him that he was able to obey the law. So sin would deceive you to think that you are actually able to do it. But in the process, that's how you get killed. Therefore, the law is holy. So it's not the law itself that killed him. It's sin that killed him. And the commandment is holy and just and good. So the problem is not the law. The law is not sin. But the law can't help you because of the weakness of the human flesh. The problem is not the law but the sin that is in you and I that makes it impossible for us to do what the law requires. The law, according to Apostle Paul, was given to reveal that 
There was a lot of coveting going on, Paul, <laughs> but not to cure it. And as I say, the law is like x-rays. It reveals broken bones or that you have pneumonia in your chest. But there's not a single doctor who knows what they're doing who treats someone with x-rays. The x-rays are given for diagnosis, not for treatment. They only reveal that, oh, by the way, your collarbone is broken. But if you have pneumonia, your lungs are infected, you have pneumonia, what does the doctor recommend? He recommends antibiotics. He recommends antibiotics for treatment. And the gospel is the antibiotic that treats what the x-rays, the law, have revealed. The law already revealed that we are sinners by reason of death. The fact that we die is evidence that we already broken the law, that we are sinners. And so Apostle Paul would come and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the law is the ministry of death. It is not the ministry of life. The law kills. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 7 to 11. This is what Apostle Paul says. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So the law had a glory, but the glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And right there, you have a comparison being made that we have one ministry that had glory, but that glory was passing away, but also that ministry was the ministry of death. But we have, on the other hand, the ministry of the Spirit, which is more glorious than the ministry of death. Verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So there's no way that you are going to combine both ministries and say they are the one in some ministries. No. Apostle Paul is saying the one had its particular function to kill, to bring death and condemnation, but the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of righteousness. And it exceeds much more in glory. In verse 10, he says, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. If you're comparing the glory of the ministry of Moses and the glory of the ministry of Christ, you can't really compare them. <laughs> Christ is way much more glorious because he is the son. Moses according to the writer of Hebrews, was a servant in God's house. And so a servant was a slave. So he does not have the same rights as the son. And the son is he who has the inheritance and is the son who abides in the house. So Moses will always be a servant of the son. Verse 11, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And you can't have any confusion. That is very clear teaching. So the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, that is the Ten Commandments, that is the ministry of condemnation. And this is the same ministry that Apostle Paul says, the letter kills. The letter kills. So the letter, the law engraved on stones only kills 
And a sinner who is in the right state of mind cannot go to that which kills. <laughs> but that's what people are doing. People you see signs that say, don't pass through here. I saw one. It was by the seashore. There's a big sign that don't go through here. Guess how many people were there? They're like 100 people. Okay. <laughs> that tells you how well men can obey laws. So if you are in your right state of mind, you don't run to that which kills you. You don't go to a lion petting zoo. Don't go to a lion petting zoo. That is not the place to go. No matter what they tell you about the sweetness of the lion. They're like, oh, he's so sweet. <laughs> a lion shall never be a pet. And there's nothing called a sweet lion. A lion is just a lion. It is a killing machine. Look at the body. It's designed to kill. Look at the jaws. It's all muscle. Look at the teeth. It's a killing machine. Lions do not eat salads. They are not vegetarians. So a good lion is one that is in the cage. Or even better, a dead one. And a law that is good for a sinner is a dead one. The one that we died to in Christ, that's a good law. I like that law. It's dead. <laughs> it may look like, it may open its mouth, but it's a dead lion. Okay, I'm okay with that. And so the law shall never be a pet. To be petted by one who is a sinner. Born in Adam, it will always bite you, as the boys will say. It will bite you and it will make you dinner. But a lot of preachers and people, they think that they're actually honoring God by taking you back into the lion's den. Live lions, oh, they're okay, they're sweet. They won't do anything to you. No, you're lying to me. You don't like me at all. <laughs> but praise the Lord, Christ has delivered us from the lion's den. But let us see if we can find this gospel in our story of David, Saul, and Ahimelech. That's teaching as we have taught it already right now, it's all in this story. You're going to find it. In our story of David and Ahimelech, we have the gospel of Christ taught very clearly in types and shadows. David is on the run from King Saul and his men are hungry, even himself. David shows up before Ahimelech all by himself and has left his men in hiding somewhere. And this was after he had slewed Goliath with a sling and a stone. And so we go to verse 1 of First Samuel 21, verse 1 and 2. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I sent you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young man to such and such a place. So David comes to Nob. Nob was the city of priests. These who served in the tabernacle of the Lord. These are the mediators of the law of Moses. They offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people. And Ahimelech, on seeing David, 
was afraid and asked David and said, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I sent you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young man to such and such a place. So this David does not tell or does not want to tell Ahimelech what business he was on. And this is Christ on his mission sent by the Father. And no one will know what business Christ was on unless it has been revealed to them by the Father. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Christ, when he came in the lowliness of his humanity, nobody knew who he was. And men were busy stumbling over him, left, right, and center. And Jesus himself would say in Luke 10, 21 and 22, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. David is already destined to be the king of Israel. And a lot of people don't really know that. But God knows. Why? Because true salvation has to be revealed to a sinner by God. For salvation is the appearance and revelation of Christ. That is what salvation is. It is God alone who knows the mission on which the Son, Jesus Christ, was sent to the world. The mystery, as Apostle Paul was calling it, it was a mystery that was long ago prophesied. But people did not really understand what that was all about. And even the angels, Apostle Peter would say, even the angels, they longed to know the mysteries of the gospel. And that is why men are still stumbling. Even to our day, they still stumble at the gospel because they come in and they think Christ somehow was given for us to come and validate ourselves and our programs and our opinions and things in him. No, they don't realize that the project of salvation is a project of the glory of the Son. But praise the Lord, he was pleased to glorify himself in our salvation. So David asks Ahimelech and says in verse 3, Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. David asks for five loaves of bread for himself and his men. He doesn't ask for seven loaves. He doesn't ask for 25 loaves. But he asks for the five. That's enough for him. It's enough for his men. His men are hungry. And Saul is still on their heels. And if these men do not have access to bread, they're going to die. They're going to die. They need to have the bread. But in verse 4, this is what Ahimelech answered David. There's no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Ahimelech says, I am sorry, David. There's no common bread for you and your men to eat, but only the holy bread. Only the holy bread. 
There's no other gospel for men by which men may be saved. There's no other name by which men may be saved but by the name of Christ, by the name of Jesus. There's only the holy bread. But they may, these who are hungry may eat it if they have kept themselves from women. That is the condition that Ahimelech brings before David. But Ahimelech, where did you get that from? You should know the law. The law clearly said that only Aaron and his sons were to eat the table of showbread. Ahimelech should not have asked David about ceremonial cleanliness. He should not have. He should have just asked him about his tribe and say, David, you are the son of Jesse. You are from the tribe of Judah. Let me see your driver's license. Let me see your ID. And that would have been the appropriate response. And David would have been automatically disqualified from eating the bread. And he and his men would have died from hunger. But Ahimelech does not say that. He rather inquires about the ceremonial cleanliness of David and his men. Ahimelech, you are breaking the law. Why are you giving bread to David, who is not a descendant of Aaron? But is that so? Who is Ahimelech? Ahimelech is the law. And the function of the law is to prevent you from eating the holy bread based on your own righteousness. The law is there to ask you about your fitness to eat the holy bread. Are you clean? If you are clean, you are good to go. If you are righteous, you are good to go. But if you are not, forget it. So the function of the law is to inspect your righteousness, your holiness, and fitness of all those who are with David, who are in David, and asking them of their right to eat that bread. Ahimelech is there to diagnose blemishes in David first and his men. And he says, if your men are holy and righteous, then they have access to this holy bread. So the law has to inspect the holiness of David before it can give his men the right to eat the bread. And that is why in Galatians 4, Jesus had to be born of a woman that he may be under the law. He had to be subject to the law. Why? That the law may inspect him. The taking up of human flesh by Christ was so that he can be inspected by the law. And once the law has inspected him, and the law is happy, is satisfied, then the law is satisfied by all who are in him. So it was the purpose, and even now, the purpose of the law, to keep guard of the bread of life and to only give access to those who have been declared as clean by David. But look at this. The law does not help David and his men to be clean. It does not. It only asks of their cleanliness. Are you clean or unclean? Are you fit to eat the bread or not? But the law of God as we know it demands perfection. It demands more than what was being required of David and his men. When the law of God speaks to a sinner, it does not ask questions of 
perfection, purity, cleanliness from David's men themselves. Rather, it asks these questions of salvation to their representative. That is why David did not bring his men with him. It inspects David, asks all the questions to David, and David is a type of Christ. I wanted to go to Ahimelech again to verse 4. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in fact common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So David is the representative of his men before Ahimelech. Ahimelech works and believes the testimony of David about his men. Whether Ahimelech determines that you have access to the bread depends on David's testimony about your righteousness. Whatever David says to Ahimelech is what Ahimelech goes by. David says his men are clean and Ahimelech says, I want to see them. No, he does not say that. Ahimelech says, here's the bread. <laughs> My men are clean. Ahimelech says, I have no issue with that. Here is the bread. You take it to your men. And Jesus says in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They are clean because of the word that's David has spoken. We are clean because of the testimony of Christ about us, not how we feel about our cleanliness. Because if our salvation was going to be dependent on how we feel about our cleanliness, then we'll always feel that we are not clean. And there will never be any assurance whatsoever because we cannot feel the cleanliness that we actually possess in Christ. We have to look to some other testimony. And the other testimony is what Jesus says about us. They are clean because I say so. If you have any problems, you go tell your mother or anybody. (laughs) So David is a type of Christ. And it is Christ who pronounces his man to be clean before the law. Because it is Christ who goes to represent his people before Ahimelech, before the law. Jesus Christ is the surety. He is the advocate and representative of his people before the law and in all things. And we know that if one is in court and they're in trouble and they have a defense lawyer, it is the lawyer who does the speaking on their behalf. It is the lawyer, the advocate, who does the speaking. And so Christ is our representative before the law of God, does all the speaking with the law, and he makes all the arguments, and he answers all the charges or questions as to our righteousness and fitness to partake of the bread of life, and that is salvation. And the law is satisfied with the testimony of Christ, even though we are actually guilty. We are guilty. So a sinner, by reason that you are guilty, 
cannot come before the law of God and begin to make arguments about their own cleanliness. It's impossible. You can't do that. The law will always find you guilty. You will get condemned. War is me, for I am undone. I am ruined. Is going to be your testimony before the law of God. Okay? You can't meet the law of God without Christ as your advocate. So the sinner comes before the law of God carrying the testimony of Christ. And that is why in Matthew 7, verses 20 to 23, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen and giving a prophecy. And many shall come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We did many wonderful things that we can't even talk about right now because they're so wonderful and so good. We gave people snacks to eat. We anointed a lot of cucumbers. What are they not understanding? They are not understanding that when you come before the judgment throne of God, you don't talk about you. You don't talk about your performance. You need an advocate to speak on your behalf. They did not come and say anything about the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, because when you profess the righteousness of Christ, you are pointing your whole defense and saying, look to Christ. He is the one who has to answer about anything pertaining to life and salvation. Because these people are coming and they are saying, well, we have to go to heaven because, look, we did things in your name. We did things for you. We did all these things that you could not do for yourself. We did them for you that they may accumulate to your own account, Jesus. Check your account. I deposited some money in the account that I called Jesus. <laughs> they are not looking to say, well, I'm standing on the righteousness that you put in my account. They are not looking to the death of Christ and the satisfaction that that death of Christ made to the law of God. Verse 5, Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in fact common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. David says, Yes, we all have been clean, but the bread is common. No, David, this is holy bread. Where on earth did you get that right to say it's common? Where did you get that right? This is holy bread. And David says, no, it's common bread, Ahimelech. <laughs> what is happening? God in this story, God in this story is already anticipating a change of priesthood. A change from the priesthood of the law, the priesthood of Ahimelech, to the priesthood of Christ the priesthood of Judah. Because unless there's a change of priesthood, the showbread cannot be eaten by anyone from any other tribe but that of Aaron, including ourselves. We had no right to eat that bread. So David is from the tribe of Judah, as I said, and so is Christ. And if there's no change of law, there's no access to the holy bread. The law has to be wholly changed that it may offer access, give access to this man of David who are starving to death. And that hunger is lack of righteousness. 
They are hungry because they don't have righteousness. That hunger is sin because people die because of sin. So you have sin, death, and condemnation represented by the hunger. And we see the hunger even happening in Egypt. If Joseph does not come to Egypt and comes with a program of salvation of the people in Egypt, guess what? That hunger is going to kill everyone. Okay. So unless there's a change of priesthood, Dev's men are facing death. And so David says, the holy bread is in fact common, not to say it was cheap or ordinary, but to say access had been given and opened to his friends, these common sinners, to be able to eat it. So the beauty and glory of the gospel is that sinners by faith through the priesthood of Christ are given access to the bread of life, the righteousness of Christ. So access is only given through the priesthood of Christ. Without the priesthood of Christ, you will never have access to that bread, even though it has been made common. So anyone who denies the person of Christ cannot come to partake of that bread. They can't be saved. Anyone who denies Christ cannot be saved. It's impossible. It can't happen because access to life is only through his person. And this is why David asked for five loaves of bread. And that was a picture of grace because five is the number of grace. And so he also had this transacted on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. David and his men are made partakers of the holy bread by grace, not because of their own intrinsic righteousness. You know the story of David. He was a murderer, an adulterer. So David cannot be intrinsically righteous. So David has been given the right to eat the bread by grace as a man. Not as Christ. Christ did not get anything by grace. Why? Because he is God. He is intrinsically righteous in himself. But when you have eaten the bread that David brings, there has to be rest for you. There has to be rest. For none can eat the holy bread and not have rest. Why? Because when there's a change of priesthood from the law to Christ, that is how the true rest is brought to God's people who are weary and heavy laden because of the law. There's no more working to try and have access to this holy bread. Christ has made it common to us. He has made it accessible to us. And in that we find our rest. We can't work for this bread. We can't work for salvation. And that is why the men were hungry on a day that they could not work. They were hungry on a Sabbath day and they could not have worked on the Sabbath day even to make food for themselves. They have to rest in the provision that David brings. The Sabbath is not about the Sabbath as many look at it. The Sabbath is the day of rest of God's people by faith those who have rested from their works to try and save themselves, to try and feed themselves, to try and be righteous before a holy and righteous God and try to impress him. Verse 6. So the priest gave him, that is David, holy bread, 
for there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in his place on the day when it was taken away. So Ahimelech gave David the holy bread that he may put the new batch of bread. So they would make the 12 loaves of bread and every Saturday they would swap them out. They would swap them out. And the 12 loaves that had been swapped out are they that were eaten by Aaron and his sons. You see that when David came, the Levites could have taken and eaten all the bread. Because as we're going to see, there were like 85 priests. So if you take one loaf of bread and there's no bread there left. So Ahimelech could have said, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I only have half a loaf left. <laughs> but God purposes by giving us that number five to say, I'm preaching the gospel. There's some purpose to David coming at this time before all the loaves have been eaten. But see this, the old bread and the new could not share the same table. Once the hot bread, the new bread came, then the old had to be removed. It had to be removed. And so once Christ has come, then the law, the old bread has to be removed. Moses can't go on the honeymoon together with Christ and his bride. The best man does not go on a honeymoon with the bride and the groom. It does not work like that. It will cause a lot of problems. But for some reason, the church, they understand that in the flesh, but they still want to buy a ticket for Christ to go on a honeymoon with Moses and his bride. Moses was the best man for Christ because he testified of Christ. And like John the Baptist, Moses too has to decrease that Christ may increase. So everyone who testified of Christ has to decrease in the face of Christ. And we'll develop this theme with the unfolding of the story in 1 Samuel 22. We're going to close it in 1 Samuel 22. Verse 7 to 9 of 1 Samuel 21. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the headsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you take that, take it, for there is no other except the, that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Now there was some character by the name of Doeg. He was an Edomite, which means he was a descendant of Esau. He is the same gang as Herod. They're the same gang. He was there when David and Ahimelech met and was listening in to the conversation. Doeg was a spy for King Saul. And he is a very interesting character to our story and the gospel story. But David has to leave. He has to leave Ahimelech and bring the bread to his boys. And so he asks for an instrument of war and says to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. 
Question for David. David, you just slew Goliath with a sling and a stone. What do you need a spear or a sword for? Why not ask for your sling and five stones? Why do you need Goliath? You slew Goliath with his sword. Why do you need the sword now? That sounds like a carnal way of thinking on the part of David. What happened to fighting your enemies in the name of the Lord as you did Goliath and took him down? It sounds, David, like you did not read the book of Galatians. David has a problem. He did not read the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 1 to 5. Galatians 3, verse 1 to 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, David has that testimony. He has just taken down Goliath, the representative of the enemies of God's people. Sometimes these statements don't come out right. In the slewing of Goliath, that's the picture of Christ taking down the enemies of God's people. David knows that. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly, David has this testimony portrayed as crucified. Paul says then, if David was listening, this only I want to learn from you, David. <laughs> Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you have your victory over Goliath by his word or by faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Because David did begin in the Spirit. David did begin by faith. Are you now being perfect by the flesh. Is now David seeking strength in the flesh, in the sword of Goliath? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, David? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? David, you are getting bewitched. You are turning away from the gospel. That's the issue. You are turning away from the gospel. You slew Goliath with the simplicity of the gospel, the rock. Are you now so foolish to turn away from that? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, the sword of Goliath? And that is what many believers do. They initially begin with excitement of the message of grace. Oh, I'm saved by grace. And then later on, guess what? We want to get back on the treadmill of works to be perfected in the flesh, to be more acceptable before God by the works. And so David is doing this in a type, but there's more to what is happening there. Question that we have to ask is, why on earth did the priests have the sword of Goliath? Because when you read the law, there's no way that is mentioned that the priests are to carry arms. Why did they not keep the sling and the stone as a war trophy? Because if this is about having a war trophy, I'm really liking the simplicity of the sling and the stone. David said, he brought neither his sword nor his weapons because the king's business required haste. And that is Christ coming on his father's mission because the work of salvation, remember this is a salvation story. The work of salvation 
was not going to be accomplished by Jesus and his angels with AK-47s and hand grenades to overthrow God's enemies. That's not how it was going to be done. The work of salvation was not to be accomplished by carnal weapons. Hear the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're just going to read verses 47 to 56. Matthew says, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. That Christ would slew Goliath with a sling and a stone. And the weapons of Christ were not carnal, and they are not carnal, but are mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. Strongholds of Saul, the strongholds of Goliath. So in verse 10, going to First Samuel 21, verse 10, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. David fled and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And if you still remember, Gath was one of the five cities of the Philistines. There was such a huge slaughter when the Ark of the Covenant was taken in war. Remember when Eli's two sons were killed and the Ark of the Lord was captured. And then we had Ichabod. (laughs) So Gath is one of the cities. And this is where Goliath came from. And if you remember the story, we had a message on that. They had to be made atonement with the five tumors and golden tumors and rats. Yeah. So that's the city of Goliath. It's a Gentile city. And we're going to talk about that. I've been longing. I actually came to First Samuel 21 to talk about that. But for some reason, the Lord has just kept slowing me down. Because I'm so excited about talking the latter end of what happens when David goes to Gath. It's some glorious gospel stuff. So David, he fled there. And as I said, we already taught that. If anybody would look for the message, I think it's called the mystery of the golden mice and the golden tumors. 
But in this story, we have the telling also of the end of the law. The discontinuity of Ahimelech. And to get that story, we have to go to First Samuel 22, because it's a continuation from First Samuel 21. And we'll hop on to verse 6 to 19. We are mostly going to read. We're just going to read it, and then we'll pick out the, the pieces that we want to talk to. In First Samuel 22, continuing from First Samuel 21, verses 6 to 19, we hear this, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there's none who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there's not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Aitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Aitab, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards, verse 17, who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests, and killed on that day eighty-five men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. So David and his men have fled back to Gath. Then from Gath they went back to the land of Judah, and they have hid in the cave of Adullam. We already have the teaching on the cave of Adullam. And so so King Saul catches wind of it 
and he is furious at his servants and says to them, All of you have conspired against me and there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there's not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Saul is playing victim. <laughs> but Saul thinks that David is his servant. But David is not hired to play music for Saul. David is not Saul's servant. He was not raised to do the bidding for Saul, but to accomplish God's work. For he is the man after God's own heart. Jesus Christ is not a servant of Saul. Jesus Christ is not a servant of the law. He is not a servant of Moses. He is the one who abides forever in the Father's house. So the law was given as a servant to testify of Christ as the one who takes away sin, to remove the power of sin and death by fulfilling the law. And not only that, by taking away the law, by removing it and displacing it by way of fulfillment. It's a very important understanding to us to pull out the nuggets that are in there. Christ is he who has to fulfill the law. And so that is why he said, every jot and tittle will have to be fulfilled. It can't be taken away. It has to be fulfilled. But once it has been fulfilled, it has to be taken away. Hear the testimony of Doeg in verse 9 and 10. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob. I I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Aitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doeg, the faithful servant of King Saul, raises his hand and spills the beans on David and Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is so in trouble. And so King Saul sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Aitab, and his father's house, and all the priests that were in Nob. And so they come, and Saul begins to speak to them. He says, here now, son of Aitab, he begins by addressing Ahimelech as their representative. Here now, son of Aitab, you are in trouble. <laughs> then Saul said to him, this is the charge. Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? In that, he lays out the charge. You have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait. See, King Saul, if King Saul had only issues with Ahimelech, he should have called for Ahimelech only. He sent for all the priests at Nob and the household. And Ahimelech is charged with conspiracy against Saul. So Ahimelech has to die. It's treason. He is going against the king to conspire to overthrow the legitimate government of Israel. That's treason. He has to be killed. Listen to verse 14 and 15 of First Samuel 22. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, 
who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this little or much. Ahimelech gives testimony of the faithfulness and righteousness of David. The righteousness of Christ. The law testifies of Christ. It does speak of Christ. And the law testifies that indeed Christ is holy and he is undefiled and he is separate from sinners. That's the testimony of the law. And it will not change that testimony even under the threat of death. There's none like Christ, none honorable, none who pleases the Father, and none who does the will of the Father like Christ does. And Ahimelech says, there's no reason to charge him for any wrongdoing, for the law can't be charged with any wrongdoing. The law gives a true testimony of everything that it says. Why? As we read, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So whatever the law testifies of Christ is a true testimony. And guess what? Whatever the law testifies of us is a true testimony. <laughs> and Ahimelech was righteous in everything that he did for David and everything that he said about him. Ahimelech is not making a false, a false testimony because he is representing the law of God. But this very commandment that was supposed to bring life to Ahimelech, he found it brought death. Because Doeg is going to do this. Listen to this. Verse 16 to 18, to 19, not to 19. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore the ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword. But men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Doeg, this informer, he's an informer. He is the chief of Saul's servants. It is he who lifted his sword and struck God's people. But men and women, children, nursing infants, and everything that they had. Doeg represents many things. He represents Judas. He represents sin because the sting of death is in sin and the strength of sin is in the law. But Doeg also represents Judas who went and betrayed Jesus to the chief priests and the Pharisees. He was an Edomite, as I said, and so belonged to the line of Herod. And as Herod was opposed to Christ, Doeg is also opposed to David. He is opposed to all who are in the line of Jacob. Because Christ is not from the line of Esau. He is from the line of Jacob. So the enmity continues between the seeds 
of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But since this is typology, there's need for flexibility in how you interpret the types and shadows as they are insufficient in themselves to represent everything that God is teaching. They're just shadows. And so when you are working, understanding from shadows, you see that there's a shifting of roles in the same person. Why? Because there's no one person who is adequate to cover all the gospel aspects that God is teaching. And so God uses the same person to star in different roles and functions to illustrate the gospel. So Doeg slews all the priesthood at Nob, and that is very significant. Why all the priests and not just Ahimelech? Why? Because that signifies the end of the law. See, he killed even the women and the children so that the priesthood do not even continue. End of priesthood. Ahimelech has finished his work. Why? Because once he has given David and his men access to the holy bread, then the law has finished its work. And the law has to be removed. And that is the reason why David came and took the sword of Goliath from the hands of Ahimelech and the priests. Because if Ahimelech still had the sword of Goliath, guess what? He would have defended himself against Doeg and the law would have continued. (laughs) So in David coming and taking the sword from Ahimelech, that was Christ removing power from the law and signaling the end of the law. Removing the power to kill and to condemn and removing the curse of the law. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, Apostle Paul says of Christ's crucifixion, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In killing the priests of Nob, Saw and Doeg, they are representative of the powers of the darkness. And they think they are overcoming David, not knowing, just like the Jews, they thought they were getting rid of Jesus. But they didn't realize that by killing him, that is how salvation was going to come. And the devil participating in the death of Christ also was thinking, okay, I have him now. But he didn't realize that's how he too was going to be removed. So, but there's one who survived. Abiathar is one of the priests, is the only one who takes off and sought refuge with David. And he is absorbed into David. Why did Abiathar escape? Because David by himself is an inadequate type of Christ. He has to continue to have access to God. David does not have an effort. And so, for David to continue to access God, he needs a priest. So Abiathar escapes and he joins himself to David. And Abiathar and David, they both of them come one. They bring a more complete picture of the full access that we have in Christ Jesus. 
Okay. Because both of them are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. David is the king, is fulfilled in Christ. And Abiathar is a priest. And Christ is a high priest. So they are joined together at the cave at Adullam and they are fulfilled in the person of Christ. And that is why Abiathar survived. Because if Abiathar dies, then David is inadequate. He does not have direct access to God. Okay. And remember the charge. Saul was charging Ahimelech for giving access, for giving David access to God. Because he said, you inquired for him before the Lord. Okay. So, as long as David does not have a priest, then he does not have direct access to God. But now that he has Abiathar, he continues to speak to God through Abiathar, or God continues to speak to him through him. But listen to this also. This is very good. This is taking us to the end of our teaching. But the death of Ahimelech, when Ahimelech was killed, they did not kill just Ahimelech. Dog slew 85 priests. And that was the removal of the priesthood of the law, for the law had fulfilled its function. And so Doeg is there to kill in a type, as to discontinue the priesthood of the law on account of David, on account of giving a good report on David, on account of giving the testimony of Christ. Because Ahimelech has done his job. And, and this was also a demonstration that the priesthood of Ahimelech, the priesthood of the law, could not continue. It was weak and it was subject to what? It was subject to death. The weakness of Ahimelech to give you access to holy bread could not continue because of the weakness of death. And Doeg comes and God preaches that through what Doeg comes and does, he kills all the priests so that there's no continuity. And without a priesthood, you can never access God. So you need an everlasting priesthood. That is not from the line of Ahimelech, the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the law. You need the priesthood of Christ that is the power of an endless life, indestructible life, the right of Hebrews says. And so we're going to make our final commentary from Hebrews chapter 7. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. We'll start at verse 11 to 24. The writer of Hebrews says, If perfection, therefore, if perfection were through the priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to to the order of Aaron. If the priesthood of the law could give you life, could give you righteousness, could give you unfettered access to the holy bread, why was there need for another priesthood? Why? Why bring a different priesthood that is not according to the order of Aaron? So the writer of Hebrews continues to argue, Vestkov, for the priesthood being changed of necessity there also is a change of the law by necessity. If the priesthood has changed, there has to be a change of the law. If David had come in a type to change the priesthood to Judah, then the law also had to change. David did not know that. David thought he was just running away from Saul. 
Ahimelech did not know what he was doing. He thought he was just giving bread to David and his men. It's only God who knew what was going on. <laughs> so the law had to change. It had to follow suit. It had to reflect that change. It had to give power to Judah, a tribe that the law said nothing about priesthood. Verse 18, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. David ate holy bread and called it common, and yet he did not belong to the tribe of Levi, the line of Aaron, and no Judahite officiated at the altar. So David could not have come and asked for the holy bread because there was nothing, there was nobody from his family who worked in the tabernacle. No one. But listen to this, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Do you see the distinction? The priesthood of Christ. It is a different power. It is the power of an endless life, not the priesthood of Ahimelech. The priests who come in the line of Ahimelech, they all die. So they can't continue. And you have no salvation if your priesthood can't continue. For he testifies, verse 17, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ comes from the tribe of Judah with a priesthood that is not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. And that is to say, the law of Moses is fleshly. <laughs> and you don't want to tell that to people. They're like, no, you can't say that. But this one, Jesus Christ, comes according to the power of an endless life with the priesthood that comes with an oath and according to the order of Melchizedek. So the priesthood of Christ does not change because an oath is a legal, that's a binding legal, I'm looking for a word for that, huh? contract. But once you go into some arrangement that comes by oath, you are in serious trouble. You cannot just change your mind. And if we are looking at that also with understanding, it is saying your salvation is tied to the oath that is with Christ. Because Christ cannot just up and say, oh no, I'm changing my mind about your salvation. Why? Because he's under oath. He has to honor the legal contract covenant that he made with his father. Okay. So Ahimelech and his priests were killed by the sword and they could not continue with their ministry. And see also this, that Doag destroyed everything that they had. There was no inheritance left in the city of Nob. Zero. There was no inheritance given those who want to approach God by way of the law. Why? Because the law is nothing. Doag already destroyed everything. So if you are hoping for your perfection before God and hoping for your inheritance through the law, then the law has nothing to give you because Doeg already destroyed everything. So the law has nothing to give you. And that is why Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 3.18, 
For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the inheritance of salvation can be of the law because Dag completely destroyed the city of Nob and all their economy. There's no inheritance for you. If you want to do the things that the law says, there's no inheritance for you. There's no cattle for you. There's no organic milk for you. (laughs) There's no sheep for you. Everything that belonged to the priests was destroyed. So everything that the law could promise, it does not have to give you. Verse 18, Hebrews 7, For on the one hand, there's an annulling, a cancellation of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. You rarely ever hear a gospel preacher who says the law was set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Like what? You are a Christian who says the law is weak and useless? Where did you hear that from? From Hebrews. <laughs> why, why was the law weak and useless? For the law made nothing perfect. It cannot perfect a sinner. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Levites, they were priests by reason of their father. I'm a descendant of Aaron. Aaron is my great-grandfather, so I am in. I am serving in the tabernacle. You didn't need to take an oath for that. You just needed to look at your birth certificate. <laughs> Check your ID. Go to the BMV. <laughs> By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Jesus is the surety of the covenant of grace. And that covenant is a better covenant. The writer finishes off and says, also, there were many priests, 86, right? 85 plus Ahimelech. There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. They were prevented from continuing by death and see that they all died on the same day. They all died on the same day. Obviously, Christ had not yet come. And as we try to understand why Abiathar escaped. Abiathar had to escape also for this reason. He had to continue the priesthood of the law with David until Christ came. Because the Jews were still under the law. So the priesthood, because David is the king in waiting. David is going to be the king of Israel. So Abiathar has has to be the priest. So until Christ has come, God has to find a way and weave a way to continue the priesthood until Christ himself comes. And we know that the priesthood was effectively removed on the cross when the veil of the temple was torn because now we all have access to the Holy of Holies by the blood of Christ. We don't need Ahimelech. We don't need Abiathar. And God comes in 70 AD and he takes down the temple to say, okay, we are done with this. Verse 24. But he, Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Okay. Christ has an unchangeable priesthood. And that's one of the assurances of the gospel that we have such a high priest who 
is not prevented by anything to continue to make intercession for us, to continue to draw all his people. And so Romans 10, verse 4, we say, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When David shows up as a type of Christ, the city of Nob is no more. And that was a picture of the coming to an end of the law. The law has to come to an end. If we are following the arguments of the scriptures, the law has to come to an end. And it is not saying that men then begin to do whatever they want. No, it's a lack of understanding. Because Christ is bringing a much better covenant. A covenant that gives you the power to obey. The power to please God. It gives you the power to be accepted by God. Let's finish off with First Samuel 22. 20 to 23. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the lost priest. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Now stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me shall be safe. In John 6.64, we hear Jesus saying this, but there are some of you who do not believe. And John says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew. And David knew that Doeg was going to do that. He was going to betray him to Saul. And Jesus also would say in, in John 13, 10 to 11, Jesus says, Jesus said to him, he's talking to Peter, he who is bad needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Doeg was a type of Judas. And the devil was Doeg too. <laughs> and he was upset that David got the bread from Ahimelech. Doeg was present with David and Ahimelech, but he himself did not eat the bread. He was not numbered among the men that David had. He did not participate in the salvation that was pictured in David and the bread. So Judas did not eat the last supper. Judas did not. He kind of was around, but he did not get to hear Jesus actually breaking the bread and giving it to his disciples. Judas was already gone. Doeg was offended by it. Doeg was an unbeliever in David. Judas was an unbeliever. Judas was an unbeliever. Doeg, if he believed in David, if he believed in the kingship of David, that David was going to continue, he would have been on the side of David. If Judas believed that Christ was the Messiah, he would have continued on the side of Christ. But he did not. So Doeg was unclean and so was Judas. And David knew about it and so Christ knew about it. <laughs> so what are we saying? We are saying that if we are understanding the gospel correctly, 
Ahimelech and all of his father's house have to die. Because Ahimelech and his father's house are the representative of the law. And David is the representative of Christ. And once David has been given the testimony of his righteousness by the law, and David has pronounced his man as righteous, then Ahimelech does not have a gig to do. He has to be removed. And once David had slewed Goliath, and they had access to the showbread, and they had made it common to those who were with him, Ahimelech has to die, the law has to die, and that was showing the weakness of the priesthood of the law to continue and to give life and to bring perfection. If perfection would be by the Levitical priesthood, then there would not have been need for Christ. So the fact that Christ shows up means there's something that is seriously wrong with trying to approach God by the law. So the law has such a serious flaw in that it can't give an inheritance to one who desperately needs it, who has nothing, the inheritance of life and righteousness and acceptance before God. So if we continue to want to have Moses, we are continuing with two priesthoods. We are having competing priesthoods, trying to do the same thing for the believer. But no, you can't do that. Listen to what David said. David said to his men who are with him, verse 23, stay with me. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks yours too, but with me you shall be safe. So if we are understanding the gospel, we have to stay with Christ and not try to go back and build the city of Nob. <laughs> we can't try and restore we are building that which has been destroyed. It is in ruins. The city of the priest is in ruins. We can't go back there. Because guess what? If Saul hears about it, guess what's going to happen? He is sending Doeg again <laughs> to come and raise everything to the ground. David says, stay with me and fear not. But it only happens if you stay with David, if you stay with Christ. Because those who sought the life of Christ, they also were seeking life. The law sought David's life. Goliath sought David's life. Doeg, Saul. But David says, but with me, you shall be safe. And so, as we commemorate the Lord's table, we remember that the city of Nob was destroyed. <laughs> After the law had given David and his men access to the holy food. For once we have been given access and given the right to eat that food, Ahimelech has no more work to do. The law has no more work to do. Ahimelech has to die. And so Apostle Paul would come and say in Romans 7, 1 to 4, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. There are a lot of preachers who don't know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Ahimelech is dead, my friends. But many still want him to live. 
So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. That's a clear didactic teaching. Don't be married to two, more than one man or woman. Everybody gets that. Okay? Otherwise, you become an adulteress or an adulterer. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the husband called the law through the body of Christ. We died to the law through the body of Christ, so we don't receive instruction from Moses anymore because he died. We died to him, so we receive all our instructions from our new husband. We go to the honeymoon, not in the company of Moses. We tell Moses, no, uh, you cannot come. Okay, We died to the law through the body of Christ that we may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So we only bear fruit if we get married to Christ and not if we continue to want to get married to Moses. That's our gospel. And I'm done. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Started, well, started off bad, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord says, in all seasons, in all seasons, just one of those things that get you to be reminded to say, you have to keep on holding to the truth of the gospel. Otherwise, once you put your hands in too many things already, you will get messed up. 